0: Hey there, everyone. It is Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival. Welcome to podcast episode number 207. Now, as you recall, in September of 2017, Hurricane Maria obliterated Puerto Rico's already feeble infrastructure. Hundreds of thousands of people were still without power at the beginning of this year, and thousands more struggle without the necessities of life months after the storm. In other words, what happened to Puerto Rico illustrates exactly the type of collapse that we need to prepare for also. Now, whether it's due to a devastating natural disaster, a grid-down blackout, financial collapse or any other wide-scale national crisis, the lack of resources and infrastructure that our society has grown dependent on could virtually vanish overnight. And when that happens, the number of various threats that you'll face greatly increases, from providing for your basic survival needs to being your own protector for you and your family as the world around you crumbles. Now, last week, we held a special live master class workshop for our New World Patriot Alliance members that shared the real-world lessons learned from a security and disaster response contractor, Russ Adler of FastNation.us. Now, he had boots on the ground in Puerto Rico after the devastation, and his insights really showed NWPA members not only what life really looks like following collapse, but also how to thrive in this environment while everyone else around you is struggling just to stay alive. Now, our workshop went for about an hour and a half, and it was filled with real, usable survival planning advice. So, if you're an NWPA member, make sure that you head on over to the members area over at newworldpatriot.org to make sure that you get that download so you can tap into all of those lessons. But just to give you a taste of some of the training, here's an excerpt from our class where we were talking about the critical factor of self-protection against crime and looters during a collapse. Now, don't worry about taking notes because we've done all the work for you with our handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet that you can download for free right now just by going over to www.mcsmagazine.com slash 207. And now here's a quick listen to the strategies that you can use to stay safe during a collapse check this out
1: tactical firearms training urban survival close quarters combat this this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot this is modern combat and survival yeah that
0: makes sense you know and you brought something up earlier um which brings us to the topic of looters and crime, because when people don't have stuff and they're desperate, they look to the people that do have stuff and take it. And you brought up even that gangs were fighting over uh, who you know stolen generators. And so, if you are one of those people that has a generator, congratulations, you might have it for a day, and then looters can come, or, or a gang might just say, you know what, I think this is mine now. Thank you very much. In fact, I was talking, I was in Florida. Um, in October of last year, I think it was, that's October, November. And my Uber driver was Puerto Rican. And I asked him, I said, Hey, do you have family that's over there? He's like, yeah. I said, so what, what is life like over there? What are they experiencing? And he, and he said, you know, the um, one of the big things is that crime has just really risen up and it's just, it's right out in the open because there really was no true police force that was able to keep things, keep the law in order. And he said that, the fuel points where people would go to to get fuel and and some of the water points also, that there were criminals that were just walking up and just taking people's fuel and it wasn't it wasn't like they were waiting for them to go down a dark alley or anything like that. Like it was almost like the mob coming in and just holding people up for for fuel and water or, or I'm assuming other resources as well. But I'm curious what you saw there in the way of, of looting and crime. And I know, you know, New Orleans you were there as well and that everyone knows, you know, a lot of what happened there, but what what did you observe and and what what can you take from those experiences about how people can protect themselves and their family from crime and looting during a collapse like event?
1: Well, let's let's uh let's start with New Orleans first. Um and, you know, coming from a law enforcement background, retired law enforcement officer, you know, I was appalled at this, but on three different occasions, uh, I, I saw two of them and then a part of my team that was out on a patrol saw it. A, a, another part of it is seeing law enforcement officers lower themselves <clears throat> to the level of, of crime and looting. Uh, very, very disturbing. So, you know, now that's not a knock on the law enforcement community. I'm just telling you, things get so dire, so bad that yeah. even law enforcement officers can stoop to that level. Now, fast forward into Puerto Rico, uh, there were several fuel supply companies on the island delivering fuel. Some of them were escorted by law enforcement officers, and excuse me, and military personnel. Uh, mainly the government sanctioned fuel runs. And then there were several private security such as myself and, and my team that were running private, um, fuel runs and stuff. And, and they're, they're usually run a lot differently. Um, there were three different occasions where fuel trucks were hijacked. Two of them were with law enforcement escorts. And there wasn't even a shot fired. It was just a threat of force, an overwhelming opposing force rolled up, kindly asked the law enforcement officers to step aside, jumped in the truck, and took it. No resistance, not a shot fired. That happened a couple of times that I'm aware of. It probably happened a lot more than what I personally know of, but these these were uh, events that happened, you know, in the area that I was operating in at the time. Uh, fortunately, none of my team folks had that happen to them. Uh, they were, they were pressed a couple of times, uh, had some, uh, soft penetrations, if you will, being scoped out, but I guess they didn't like what they saw when, uh, when they saw our guys escorting and they moved on to an easier pick. Once again, I'm not denigrating, I'm not knocking law enforcement, but it, it's all in, what the what the bad guys see when they go to attack uh these these soft targets it, it's a lot easier to get a soft target than a hard target and here's some ways that you can be prepared the way you carry yourself the equipment that you have whether it's overt or covert now we've talked about this uh in the past on your your appearance and your dress certain times you do not want to look like you're you're a tactical operator per se, unless you have the team to back it up, you know by yourself one or two people, that could be a target for a bigger group uh If you're a small unit that has the appearance of strength and and professionalism even even a bigger opposing group, they're not going to want to bite off you know a a force like that, so appearance is key. Um, sometimes low profile is the best sometimes high profile is the best each scenario uh, is different and you got to have experienced people that can recognize that that is the key is is having good leadership uh, in your group whether it's your family your friends an organized group or not is having the leadership that can recognize each scenario for what it is now let let's correlate some training. Uh, I've been hammering training. You've been hammering training and preparedness. So, law enforcement guys, depending on what state or what continent or what country you're from, they're going to go to anywhere from a you know two or three week training course to uh, several months of training. Your military guys are going to go anywhere from, you know, six to eight weeks, even 12 weeks of basic training, and then you're going to go to another six, eight, 12 weeks of advanced training after that. Uh, On the military side, before a deployment, even your special operations guys have to check some training boxes off before they go downrange. You know, and that can be anywhere from a couple of weeks to a couple of months, your 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 basic infantry guys they got to go through a you know usually a 1 to 3 month pre-deployment train up before they get sent down range to a combat operation that's after they've completed you know 8 10 12 20 weeks of of basic and advanced infantry training um so on the law enforcement side you go through your initial basic uh, recruit course And then you might, if you have a proactive agency, you might have to qualify once a year. Some agencies are proactive to the point of qualifying four times a year or three times a year. When we look at the average shootings, officer-involved shootings across the country, the ratio of hits is around 30 to 40 percent. Let's just call it 35 percent. So imagine in your training scenario, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to Florida, my home state. You've got to qualify by hitting the target in a certain area, in the vital area. It's a little Coke bottle shape in the middle of a silhouette target. You've got to qualify with an 80% hit ratio. And they only list it as pass or fail. They don't give you a numeric score. They used to long, long time ago, you know, almost 30 years ago when I started. Well, yeah, it's been 30 years. Uh, they gave you a numeric score, and, and then some lost lawsuits started getting filed, so they said, okay, it's just pass or fail. You either pass the standard or you didn't. Well, the standard's been 80% for as long as I've known it. Now, don't ask me about that other 20% where they miss or they drop hits or whatever, but then you, you take that to the road, and it becomes 35%. And so, some of these shootings involve highly trained officers, SWAT officers, uh, your your operator types, your your guys that shoot. So when you have that stress that's added in a, in a life and death event, your skill sets go down. So your average civilian, if you're if you're not in a constitutional carry state, you have some sort of criteria. If you're in a, a state that allows the carrying of firearms, to where It's either a basic course of fire or it can be a hunter safety course or a DD-214 from the military, or some of them don't have a standard at all. You just have to get your chief law enforcement officer in your county or your city's permission to get a permit, and then you're done. So being prepared for looters and criminals entails a lot more than having a bunch of guns and a bunch of ammo because if you don't know how to use it or if all you've done is go to the range and or or go to your friend's property and plink cans off the fence, you know, at 15 or 20 yards with no real interaction with a humanoid-type target or even going on to the, you know, getting off into the force-on-force-type training, you're going to fail miserably when a life-and-death event befalls you.
0: Hey everyone. It is Jeff again, and I hope you got a lot out of this short excerpt from our most recent NWPA Masterclass Workshop. Now, for the full recording, as well as all the other video and workshop training available for tactical firearms training, self-defense, and emergency preparedness, make sure that you go and sign up or log in over at newworldpatriot.org, as well as go and check out more of Russ's training that he has available on his website at www.fastnation.us. And until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive.
1: This has been Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment.